We've been in this series called Comeback Season, and uh, this is not just a cool series. This is not just a marketing strategy. This is not just to get people back in through the doors. We fully believe that God is, there's life on these words. It's time for a comeback. It's time for, it's your comeback season, and I'm believing that today God is just going to bring you to a place. He's going to cause you to live in a comeback, and uh, I just know God's going to do something special. Today, I want to talk about a key to your comeback. And before I tell you this key, I want to warn you, the key that I'm about to share with you is going to be annoyingly obvious, like frustratingly simple. Like when you hear me share this key with you, this one particular key, you're going to be like, of course you would say that's a key to my comeback. You're a pastor and that's the type of thing that pastors say. But, but it's, it's, a simple, it's a simple key. And haven't you learned that solutions to our problems are often simple, they are rarely complex? Let me make it practical. If you're married in the room and you're having communication issues with your spouse, the answer may not be deep counseling. It may be a calendar on your fridge or Google Calendar. Come on, somebody. If you're feeling heavy on a daily basis and you're wondering, why do I keep feeling this heaviness? It may be that you don't need deliverance. It may be that you need hydration, right? The simple solution. But we oftentimes make the assumption that the key to our comeback is something complex, it's some deep revelation. It's some, you're going to share something new with me that's going to propel me into this new season. But assumptions are misleading. Uh, I was the victim of an assumption recently. I was at this place called Cheeky Monkey <laughs> with my son. And uh, it's a play place if you're interested in local play places. And I um, was there with my son. I made the grave mistake. I didn't know this was a mistake. But you're not supposed to go as a grown man into the playpen with all of the kids, Right. All of the moms were looking at me like they're concerned. They're making the assumption there's a, gr- there's a weird man in the, they're like around my kids and I'm concerned. And literally like these moms are assuming that I'm a creep, that I'm a weirdo because I'm just like in the play place. They're literally misdirecting their kids like, hey, stay away from that man, okay? They're looking back at me. They're like, hey, Braxton, Paxton, Payson, stay away from that man. Stay, you know, Tesla, keto, yoga, come here. Stay away from that man. They're, they're misdirecting and they're like just making this. I'm like, if I was in there alone, alone, I would understand, yeah, that's cause for concern. But anyway, what I'm saying is assumptions are misleading. And, and we oftentimes make the assumption that the key to our comeback, the solution to our dysfunction is in some complicated revelation that is actually unattainable. But I'm here to tell you today that the key to your comeback that the solution to the dysfunction, the thing that's going to pull you out of the place that you're currently in is simply found in your praise. It's found in your praise. I'm going to talk about praise for the next 29 minutes and 46 seconds, and then we're going to praise like we have never praised. We're going to give God glory like we've never given him glory. And so I want to share this scripture with you. This is going to be the foundation text of our, uh, of our message. It's also going to be where I'm going to get this title. Psalm 137 says this. Um, Actually, let me give you the backdrop first. Psalm 137, the people of Israel are in need of a comeback. Their city has just been destroyed. Their temple has just been destroyed. They were made captives. They were forced to live in a foreign land. And the Bible in Psalm 137 gives us insights on, you're like, was that an accident? Are they supposed to? Yes, this was planned just to kind of clear the air. Psalm 137, this, it gives us insight to their response to their captivity. And I'm going to warn you, this is one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. It says this in Psalm 137, 1 and 2, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. 
Look at this verse. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. The harp was their instrument of praise. It was their instrument of Worship. This was how they connected with God. And in a time of frustration, in a time of pain, in a valley season, in a dark season, they made the grave mistake of hanging up their praise on a tree. This was a picture of them walking away from the very thing that would bring them into breakthrough. I'm titling this message, History's Greatest Hang-Up. Not hangover. History's greatest hang-up. Listen, it is the enemy's goal for you and I throughout all of history to abandon our praise, to abandon a lifestyle of worship. By the way, you don't need to know this right now, but remember this for later. Judah means praise. It, it was the enemy's plan all along to get us to abandon our praise. And I think one of the most spiritually dangerous things you and I can do is abandon our praise. And today I'm going to talk about two reasons why we hang up our praise on a tree and two reasons why we need to get it back. The first reason I think people hang up their praise, and I'm coming in kind of heavy, we hang up our praise because of pride. I want to tell you about a time where pride almost took me out, took my actual life. I was eating brisket a couple of weeks ago. Just hang with me on this, okay? Eating brisket a couple of weeks ago, and um, I was having lunch with some people I really respect. I was trying to, you know, make a good impression, and my pastor was there. Some other people were there, and so I'm trying to put my, you know, good foot forward. And uh, the first bite of brisket that I eat, it was it was a pretty large piece. And normally, when you you kind of get to the decision point where you're like, I should probably chew this more, um, but I decided not to. I tried tried to power through, so I swallow this piece of brisket. It gets stuck in my throat. I was just like, oh, no, that's, like, very stuck. And, and, and so I, I try to swallow again. It does not budge. So, so I stand up real cal- casually. I'm just like, remain calm. It's okay. It's all right. And I walk over to my pastor's fence, and I'm just like, I'm, like I'm examining the fence. I'm like, this is a really good, really good fence. I like this, like, Home Depot fence probably. It's, I like the stain. I'm looking at it like I'm considering purchasing this very fence. Like, I'm really examining, but actually I'm choking. And uh, I've tried swallowing six or seven times. This brisket is not moving. I look and I see Dr. Rick. I'm like, Dr. Rick could get this brisket out of me. I'm like, for sure, this brisket would not stand a chance against Dr. Rick. And so, but I'm like, okay, so he could get this out of me. But in my mind, I'm like, if I were to like communicate it, I would just have to go stand in front of him and like cover my throat and let him know that I'm choking. The problem was like if it was in the middle of the lunch, I would have been fine with it, but it was on the first bite, y'all. The very first bite, I started choking. And I was just, Pastor Dustin's watching online, just ask that you cut up my pieces and smaller pieces next time. But but I'm choking. And um and, and the reason why I didn't go to Dr. Rick was because of my pride. Because I didn't want to be the dude on Easter lunch that had to get the Heimlich because that would forever been burned in their memories. And so I had set myself up for two pathways, two options, two roadways for my life. Number one, I was either going to get this brisket down myself or I was going to find a corner to just die quietly and no one would ever know that it was brisket that was the culprit. I'm looking at my wife and my kids running in the field. I'm crying like this is it. We've had a good run, but this is, this is the end of the road. And uh, fortunately, I got the brisket down. I'm here. I'm alive today. Bless God. And uh, 
Pride will choke the life out of you, though. <laughs> That's a ridiculous story, but here's a very, very real principle. Pride will choke the life out of you. Pride will rob you of the breath that was intended for him, and it will cause you to keep it to yourself. Did you know pride and praise cannot coexist? They're like oil and water. They're like light and darkness. Pride and praise can't exist in the same room. And so you've got to make up in your mind today, will you let pride kill your praise? Or will you praise until pride leaves? And, and it's pride that causes us to hang our harp on a tree. What kind of pride is holding you back today? Maybe it's spiritual pride, the, the pride that says, I have been a part of church my whole life. I've been a part of church. I've known Jesus for years, so I don't need to walk into service and give praise the way that everyone else is giving praise. I've been there. I've done that. I'm good. Maybe it's pride in your image. Like, I don't know about that clapping and dancing and shouting. I don't know if you know who I am or not, but I'm a person of notoriety. I'm a person of influence. I don't know how much, if you know how much I make, but I, I'm successful. I'm somebody. And, and many times pride in our image can prevent us from praising God the way that we are designed to praise God. But I love this scripture where King David absolutely destroys this mentality of pride in our image. Um, the Bible says that the Ark of the Covenant is being carried into Israel. The presence of God is being carried into Israel. And the Bible says David is dancing with all of his might so much so that his wife is like you are insane and you are embarrassing me David is dancing with all of his might this is the scripture where he has stripped down to a linen ephod this is what this means King David king of Israel was in public wearing common clothes the elected king of Israel was in public wearing common clothes the dude that's in charge, you're like, we get it. The dude that was in charge, king of Israel, was in public wearing common clothes. Why? Because when the presence of God arrives, our earthly titles go out the window. In this place, when the presence of God shows up, I am not preacher. I am not pastor. I am not leader. I am grateful son of the living God. When the presence of God shows up, you are not business leader, lawyer, or doctor. You are not, you are not a successful man or woman. You are a grateful son or daughter of the living God. I heard a preacher say it like this one time. He said, you don't get to pretend to be a king in front of the king. So when the king arrives, we've got to make up in our mind, I'm not trying to be a king. I'm not trying to be somebody. Praise and pride are both fighting for real estate in your heart. And you get to decide which one wins today. Last time I preached, I announced that we had recently purchased a home, and uh, at the time I was super excited about it. And uh, now I've learned that owning a home means I turn off lights for a living. It's like follow my kids and just like I'm turning off lights. I remember being a, being a kid and touching the thermostat. My dad being like, don't touch the thermostat. I'm like, that is just air. It's not a big deal. And now I'm like, don't touch my thermostat. Like I became my dad so quickly. I remember the first couple of days I was looking at my fridge. I was Googling how many kilowatts a year my fridge takes up because I'm like, this is costing me money right now. This is a bit overwhelming. It's costly. I'm about to go get a job at Marco's Pizza. They think I'm essential, so... Maybe Cheeky Monkey will take me. I don't know. It's costly. It's costly. Praise should be costly. Pra 
praise should cost you something. And, and our Americanized version of praise is that I, I come in with my coffee in hand and receive it as entertainment, but it was never designed to be that way. You and I are called to praise in such a way that it costs our, pray, our pride something. It, it's an expense to our pride. It, it, it's the type of un, like ugly type of praise. You know what I'm talking about? I remember church conference this year. I, the presence of God was just so special and so powerful. And I'm, I'm sitting right here in the front row and the presence of God comes and I start getting my ugly praise on, my ugly worship on, like all sorts of fluids and liquids were coming from my face. Like I'm, I'm crying. I got snot. That carpet square should be burned. I'm telling you right now, it was nasty. I guarantee in that moment, there was someone probably in this section that looked over at me and they're like, oh, <laughs> like even me telling the story, you're like, that's too much information. It's gross. Can I tell you, I would not trade what God was doing in me in that moment for the approval of any man. I wouldn't do it. It's praise like that that leads to joy unspeakable. It's praise like that that leads to peace that seems unattainable, peace that doesn't make sense. It's ugly praise. It's undignified praise. It's uncomfortable. It's the praise that frustrates the religious. It's the, it's the type of praise that makes people look at you weird. But that's the type of praise that brings breakthrough into your life. You don't need to know this right now, but remember this for later. Judah means praise. We hang up our praise because of pride. I'll talk to people all the time, particularly men will say this to me. They'll be like, man, I'm just not an emotional person. All that jumping and dancing and clapping and shouting, that's just not me. That's not who I am. And uh, I'm like, that's fine. But I, but I found that if you can take that same man, extract him from church 1132 like this, Carry him over to AT&T Stadium where the Cowboys are playing. All of a sudden, this very non-expressive man has got his shirt off. His chest is painted blue. He's shouting. He's yelling, crying when they lose. He's shouting when they win. The other side of the stadium's like, D, and he's like, Fetch. And like, I'm telling you, like, oh, like, bro, I don't think expression was the problem. I think that maybe pride has caused you to hang your harp on a willow and all praise when it's culturally acceptable, but it, when it makes people, oh, come on, can we start praising God in a way that makes everybody uncomfortable? Because that's the praise that leads to breakthrough for me and my family. Key to your comeback is praise. Another reason why we hang up our harp on a tree is, is because of pain. I'm not going to pretend to know what your context of pain is different things for a bunch of different people. It may mean that someone walked out on you. Pain might mean that somebody never entered your life and it's loneliness. Maybe it's that you were backstabbed. Maybe it's that you feel nothing at all. I don't know what pain means for you, but here's what I know about pain. It distorts the way that we see Jesus. It, it cause, It's like a... Uh, it's like a pair of sunglasses. It provides a, 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 a lens with which I see him, and it distorts the way that I view my God. I want to show you this in Scripture, John chapter 11. We've talked about this story a lot this year. This is a story where Lazarus um, dies, and Martha, the sister of Lazarus, is in agony. Jesus, Jesus shows up four days late, and he shows up, and, and Martha walks up to him. In John eleven twenty one, 21, it says, Lord, if he had been here, 
my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus essentially looks at her. He's like, well, Martha, do you think I can still do something in this situation? And she says in eleven twenty-seven, she says, yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. She is saying all of the right things in front of Jesus. She's identifying him correctly. He's Lord. He's son of God. He's Messiah. But then a few verses later, Martha goes and has a private conversation with Mary. And it reveals the contents of her heart. It reveals the wound that she's carrying. It reveals the pain that, that is distorting her view of Jesus. The Bible says that she pulls Mary aside privately in John eleven twenty eight. 28. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. And she says, the teacher is here. The, the person that was once God and King and Messiah, all of a sudden pain has distorted the way that she sees him. And now he's no longer son of God. He's no longer reigning champion of the world. He's teacher, instructor. You're just another teacher. And maybe you're here today and pain has distorted your view of Jesus. You once saw him as Lord. You once saw him as King, but now you're starting to see him. Are you really that good? Because all of this mess is happening in my life. Maybe you once believed he was healer, and then someone got sick, and they did not get healed, and so now you're thinking, how in the world could I believe that he is who he says he is because he didn't show up here? Maybe you once believed that God was good, but you feel like he didn't show up the way you thought he would show up, and it's distorted your view of him, and the, the one who was once God is now teacher, and it has forced you into this place where you're hanging up your praise on a tree because you don't see him the way that you're intended to see him. Our pastor shares this illustration often. He says that when we get hit, when we get wounded, what's the first thing we do? We look at the wound. It'd be unrealistic for me to say, don't look at the wound. You can look at the wound. You can feel the pain of the wound. But I'm just telling you, healing will never come if you live in the wound, if you live with your eyes fixated on the wound. And what happens so many times in season of pain and valley seasons and dark seasons is, is our eyes are drawn from looking at Jesus to looking at the wound. And the longer we look at the wound, the more we're convinced that he's not good because he should have prevented this. The Bible says that he is the glory and the lifter of our head. And the Bible is constantly communicating. He's communicating to you today. Take your eyes off the wound. No matter how painful it is, hurtful it is, frustrating it is, if you would look up at Jesus, you would see he's not teacher. He's not a philosophy. He's not an idea. He's not do's and don'ts. He's not a religion. He's not just a man. He's not ancient history. His book is not antiquated. He is right now king, reigning champion of the world. When I look off of my wound and I look at him, it's the only thing that can heal the wound that I'm carrying. That's how I pull praise off of the tree as I look up at him. Pride will cause us to hang up our praise. Pain will cause us to hang up our praise. I want to spend the remainder of our time, just a few more moments, talking about why it is vital that we get our praise back whether you've never praised the way you feel like you were created to be praised, or maybe you're in this place and there was a time where you were real hungry for God, a time where you really expressed your worship to Jesus, here in these next few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity to give God the glory that he's deserving of. 
Praise produces victory. Praise produces victory. Why should I pull my praise off of the willow? Because praise produces victory. In our fight with the enemy, in our war with darkness, in our, in our conflict with the enemy, one of the greatest mistakes that you can make is to focus on the enemy. See, in a natural fight, it's really good to identify your enemy and make sure that you know where he's at. But in the spirit, in spiritual warfare, it is vital that we actually take our eyes off of the enemy and put our eyes on the one who can fight our battles for us. Praise produces victory. I remember learning to drive with my dad, and I hated it. When I was 15 years old, my parents were just like, they were very, like they were very difficult to drive with. Anybody remember this experience where, where my parents are like, uh, you're driving too fast, you're driving too slow. They're like, put your hands at 10 and 2. I'm like, I'm at 10 and 2. They're like, that's 10 and 2, 30. I hated driving with my parents. We'd see a stop sign two miles away. And my mom would be like, John, 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 slow down. It's so frustrating. But I remember one piece of advice that my dad gave me as we were driving. We were driving on a two-lane highway, and I kept on drifting over into the other lane, which is very scary. So, like, thinking back on it now, they probably had some, like, validity to their concerns. But just drifting over into the other lane, and my dad's like, hey, you're, you're drifting over into the other lane. I'm like, I know. I'm trying not to. He's like, well, you keep going on the lines. What? what? And I was like, I know. I'm, trying, I'm looking at the lines to make sure that I don't cross them. He said, where are your eyes? Dad, I'm looking at the lines to make sure that I don't cross them. My dad said, don't look at the lines. Look forward. You're always going to move in the direction that your eyes are in. And I want you to know today, when it comes to spiritual warfare, you will always gravitate towards your gaze. So if temptation's showing up and you keep looking at temptation, I rebuke that temptation in the name of Jesus. And I rebuke this devil. And I rebuke this problem. And I'm swinging a sword. And I'm fighting every devil that shows up. I'm just telling you, you're going to end up exhausted and looking like the enemy that you're trying to kill. But when you look up, he will take care of the battles for you. This is all throughout Scripture. Okay, you look at uh, Acts chapter 16. You see Paul and Silas. They're in this jail cell. Here's the game plan for them to bust up out of the jail cell. I would think if we're going to get out of this jail cell, I've got to create leverage. I've got to break this thing open. Maybe I'm going to get a running start and bust into this thing. I might bribe the jailer and bring the keys over to me. But here's what Paul and Silas did. They began to praise at midnight. And it was their praise that loosed their chains. What? It was their praise that opened up the doors. It was their praise that brought freedom. Why? Because praise is praise that produces Victory. We, we see this in the story of the walls of Jericho where the Israelites are marching around the walls. And the battle plan is not to scale the wall. The battle plan is not to go under the wall. What's the command God gave them? Shout, for the Lord has given you the victory. That word shout is a Hebrew word, ruah. It means to make a joyful noise. It was, it was praise that caused the walls to fall. In the same way, your shout would cause an avalanche to start moving. It's your praise. It's your shout. It's your worship. It's your, your worthy Jesus that causes strongholds to begin to tumble down. It's all over Scripture. Look at Psalm chapter 27. It's my favorite verse on spiritual warfare, Psalm 27, 3 and 4. David says, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. 
Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. What will you be confident in, David? If I were to close the book, I would think that David's about to be confident in his ability to swing a sword. In this I will be confident. I took down a lion. I took down a bear. I took down Goliath. I've got this. If anybody should have had confidence in their own ability to rebuke the devil and to fight hand-to-hand with the enemy, it was David. But look at this. He says, I'm confident in this. Verse 4, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. That I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David's confidence was not in his own ability to pull himself up by his bootstraps. It wasn't in his own ability to rebuke the enemy. His confidence was not in his sword. It was in his song. It was, Jesus, you're worthy, and you'll take care of my enemies for me. I think one reason why we want to fight hand-to-hand is because we want to be the heroes of the story. But there are no heroes in this room. The only one that is a hero in this room is Jesus, and he wants to fight your battle for you. Praise produces victory. I remember it was 4th of July two years ago. It was an insane day. We were in Mobile, Alabama, shooting fireworks off of a roof. Because that's what you do in Mobile, Alabama. It's stuff like that. It was just another day for us. And... Uh, after the person lit the firework, there's a live firework in this tube that the fireworks are shooting out of. He turns around and he kicks the tube over. So the firework that was once doing this is now yonder, okay? And so, and so this, I'm like, dude, this is about to shoot out into the yard. So I wrap up my one-year-old, my wife, like the heroic, manly, muscular dad that I am. And I, I wrap them up, and I'm ready to take this firework on my back for the sake of my family, for the sake of the gospel. And, uh, and, and this firework shoots out, and I grab it in the air just like, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. It shoots out, and it blows up in the middle of the yard. Fortunately, no one was harmed in this story, but I learned something very valuable about fireworks. You didn't know you are going to get a firework lesson today. When they go up, they're beautiful. When they go sideways, they're dangerous. Your focus is the same way. Your praise is the same way. When my praise goes up, light shines in darkness. When my praise goes up, people will wait in traffic. When my praise, when my focus goes up, revival starts breaking out. But it's when I start looking over that there's casualties, that there's issues, that there's problems. And so if you've been in hand-to-hand combat with every devil, with depression, with anxiety, God is saying the solution is not that you fight it well enough or that you struggle well enough, but that you look up to him. It's vital that we get our praise off of the tree because praise produces victory. And here's the final story that I'll share with you. And the final point that I'll share with you, praise will pull you out of the pit. If you've been living in this place where you're like, if I'm honest with myself, I need a comeback. Can I just say, do not let spiritual pride rob you of your comeback. Do not, do not allow the, the, the pressure to present yourself like you've got it all together. Prevent you from praising the way that you were designed to praise in these next few moments. If you need pull out of a pit, I'm telling you, look no further than praise. David uh, needed a comeback. Praise was the answer. Paul and Silas needed a comeback. Praise was the answer. And here we find this man by the name of Joseph. 
Joseph had found the favor of his brothers, and he has this coat of many colors, and his brothers start getting jealous, and so they take him out into the middle of a field, and they beat him, and they strip him of his coat, and they throw him into this pit, and Joseph is laying there, bleeding, and just like the people in Psalm 137, he's in need of a comeback. Just like Paul and Silas, he's in need of a comeback. Just like many of you today, he's in need of a comeback. Now, the only people that knew Joseph was in this pit was his 11 brothers. So if he's going to be saved, it's going to be one of them that does it. You don't need to know this now, but remember this for later. Judah means praise. I was looking at the name meanings of some of his brothers, and some of them are kind of funny. Uh, He had a brother named Reuben, which means a son is born unto us. Basically, the doctor was like, it's a boy. And they were like, that sounds good. That sounds like it's got a ring to it. I like that name. It's really good. He had a brother named Levi, which means attached. I think he had some issues leaving the house when he was 18. This is a parent that laughs trying to kick their kid out right now. He had a brother named Naphtali, which means my struggle. Talk about growing up with a complex. His mom was like, you're the thorn in my flesh, Naphtali. Stay away from me. Get away. He had a brother named Dan, which I don't know about you, but I feel like they got lazy naming Dan. Dan doesn't even sound like a biblical name. They're like, you got Reuben, Simeon, Naphtali, Issachar, Zebulun, and Dan. It's just like, Dan means he judged, judgmental guy. He had a brother named Gad, which means good fortune. And I imagine Joseph is in this place where he's thinking through all of his brothers. Who's going to pull me out of this pit? Am I going to be here forever? Am I going to die in this pit? Maybe you're in a similar situation. You're asking the question like, am am I going to die going from cycle to cycle, from struggle to struggle, from problem to problem? Am I ever going to come out of this place? Because it's been years that I've been living in this. Who's going to pull me out of this pit? And Joseph's thinking through all of his brothers. Is it it Naphtali? Is it my struggle? Am I going to sweat my way out of this? It's not going to be Dan. Dan never does anything. Just standing there being a real Dan over there. He's thinking through his brothers. You're like, are we supposed to be spiritual or not right now? I don't know. He's thinking through his brothers. Is it, is it going to be my struggle? Is it, is it good? Is it Gad? Is it good fortune that's going to pull me out? Or better times just going to come around and pull me out of this pit? Is one day this just going to get better? Is, is it my sweat? Is it my struggle? Is it Reuben, the firstborn? Who's going to pull me out of this pit? And, and there's a brother that Joseph has that I have not told you about yet. His name is Judah. And now would be a really good time for me to remind you that Judah means praise. And it was Judah that said, this is our brother. We're not going to let him die. It was Judah that climbed down into the pit. It was Judah that pulled him up and said, let me call you higher. It was Judah that threw him on his back and carried him out of the pit. It was was praise that pulled Joseph out of the pit. And it's praise that's going to pull you out of the pit. It's praise that's going to pull you out of the dark season that you're in. It's praise. It's praise. This is good news because it's your hallelujah that determines whether you move or not tonight. It's your hallelujah that determines whether or not you move next week. It's, it's your, when next month when you're in a season of struggle. Remember, it's Judah that will pull you out every single time.